New Media Comedy Worldwide Studios. New Media Comedy Worldwide presents Comedy Legacy Series with Jim Mandrinos. And now, your host, Jim Mandrinos. Hello, everybody. This is Jim Mandrinos, your host. It's the Comedy Legacy Podcast. And today is a really fun episode for me. A lot of people have people that they start with in stand-up. And one of the things that I don't think we fully understand when we're first starting is you can learn from the people you start with just as well as you can learn from watching the masters. And when I started, I started with Anita Wise, who's our guest today. And she was one of the first people that taught me, you can be calm on stage. You, you can be slow on stage. You can be deliberate on stage as opposed to my style of comedy at that time, which was just joke, 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 joke. So we're going to talk to her. We're going to talk to her about how her style evolved, how she came to do what she's doing and what she's doing right now since she's come back into stand-up after a little bit of a hiatus. It's going to be interesting and fun take, and it's going to be really fun for me to catch up with an old friend. So sit back, relax, and this episode of the Comedy Legacy Podcast, help me welcome Miss Anita Wise. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Comedy Legacy Podcast, and today uh, we have got an unbelievably funny woman to, to bring on to talk to you guys about craft, about life in comedy, and all the fun stuff, Miss Anita Wise. How are you doing today, Anita? I'm fine. I'm just curious who is coming on, who's so funny. Uh, <laughs> I hope it's you. <laughs> I hope so too. I'm terrified, I have to be honest. Why are you terrified? Well, terrified, maybe that's overstating it, but you know, I know this is supposed to be talking about our process and everything. Mm -hmm. And my process is kind of like my cooking, which is basically that I, um, I get an idea for something that I want to make and I might look at a couple recipes and I get the general idea. And then I realize I don't have most of the things that I need to make the recipe. <laughs> So I start making something and uh, it usually honestly turns out pretty good. But then people go, oh, what was the recipe? You know, how did you make this? And I'm like, if you have a videotape of me making it, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I made it. It just sort of happened. So I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know. We might be done now already. You know? <laughs> this might be the end of the podcast. I don't know. <laughs> this might be the whole thing because all right, well, maybe you can suss something out, but I'm like, uh, what am I going to say? I don't even know how well, this works. Well, 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 we'll dance around a bunch of things because you got more than just process to, to share with the uh, next generation of comics coming up. So, oh, thank God. Yeah, thank God we've got a little bit more. Uh, yeah. you, you and I actually started together about yes. a billion years ago. Very uh, long time. The first time I remember seeing you was at a club called Good Times. Yes, yes, yeah. and uh, <laughs> uh, the aptly named Good Times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody ever have a good time in Good Times? Um, we had, we had, you know, if you if you call like riding a roller coaster that uh, like scares you to death a good time, we had good times. Yeah, yeah we did. We had some laughs, some nervous laughs. Yes, <laughs> uh, we were. It was the it was like fraternity hazing basically <laughs> it, was it really was it yeah. really was but we i want to talk a little bit about um kind of history because you know in our class the guys that all started out at the same time me you mike sweeney dave labarca uh i'm trying to remember some of the others jeanette barber um you know uh susie Esman actually started when we started you were the first one to break through and get on tv you just you just popped on to to the Tonight Show, and we all felt like validation, you know, our class because finally somebody from our generation was going to be on TV. Oh yeah, I I didn't realize I was the first, but well, that's yeah. cool. You you were absolutely the first, and I remember being uh, huddled at the bar at the comic strip watching uh, the Tonight Show appearance when you were on the uh, Tonight Show. So let's yeah. talk a, a little bit about that process because. You, like all comics, started out in nightclubs, and then you have to do, uh, I believe Carson was the host when, when you did your yes. first Tonight Show. So yep. you had to do a seven-minute set in front of Johnny, was it? 
seven? something like that. Yeah, five, seven, something like that. Yeah. What was the process? First of all, how did you get it? And then how did you prep to do that show? Okay, it was um, the way that I got it was I was at the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal. And how I got that is longer story. But um, uh, so I did the Just for Laughs Festival and, um, I, and Jim McCauley was there at the festival the, who booked The Tonight Show. And he was there scoping talent. And I had a wonderful manager, Diane Krauss, who was great at networking or whatever. And anyway, she, um, she had friends and so forth. Anyway, she got him to see me. So he saw me and then he wanted to book me. And it was like that, just like that. So he saw me and he said, yes, we'd like to have her on the show. So then, um, so then we had to go over the set and I had to do the set, I think, for him somewhere, one of the clubs. And then after that, it was just timing the set and doing the set as many times, as many times a night as I could, listening to it, recording it, timing it, and so forth. And, um, and then uh, <laughs> the outfit, oh God, the outfit, um, that was another production. Um, it, it just sort of came together. I don't even remember where I bought the dress. But then a friend of mine, I was at a flea market, I ran into a friend of mine whose girlfriend was a clothing designer and she had a little jacket that went with the dress. So that was the outfit, that's what happened there. And uh, I kind, kind of went Rita Rudner style, like kind of um, presenting a, a, like a feminine, mm -hmm. unlikely persona to be saying the things that I was saying, so. That was my idea at the time. Can, so, can we touch on that a little bit? Because when you started in stand up, it really was an all boys school. It really was, you know, yeah. totally guys. And you were, there were a whole crop of women that were starting at the same time. But, right. you know, the, the class above you was like Rita Rudner and Carol Siskin and Wendy Liebman. Um, and most of them, with the exception of Rita, were very masculine in their approach, very or, or androgynous, if you look at somebody like a Paula Poundstone. You have always made the decided effort to be feminine on stage. Was that conscious thought, or was that just, this is who I am, so this is what I do? A little of both, I guess. Um, before I started comedy, the way I was kind of introduced to it was I, I was dating a comic that I met at the improv. Some actor friends of mine took me to the improv one night because they knew they knew Chuck Montgomery. He he was uh, working concession at one of the Broadway theaters, and and that's how they knew him. So anyway, a couple of us ended up at the improv one night, and uh, one of the comics uh, asked me out, and we dated for a while, and uh, I really liked him. And then it just turned out, you know, like we'd be going to a movie and then at nine o'clock at night, he'd go, okay, well, I have to go to the clubs now. And I'm like, what? <laughs> really? I had a day job. And, um, and then I realized, you know, it's not so much that I liked him. I just wanted to be him. <laughs> he was like my hero. So I took a comedy writing class and the last night of the class, you perform your material. So I knew from this comic that the hard thing wasn't so much coming up with jokes or whatever, but to have a persona on stage was the, the tricky part. So when I first did stand up, my very first time, there was this kind of character there, probably um, forged by terror. I don't know, <laughs> you know, but I had like, I recognized that that was like a, a kind of a persona, this timid, stammering, uh, terrified person. So, <laughs> so, and I was that, like my first year I wore long skirts because my, I never knew the phrase, my knees shook was a real thing. <laughs> but, but, 
my niece is like, like this. I'm like, nobody can see that. I have to wear skirts. So it was a big like milestone when I could wear pants on stage or leggings, you know, and my knees weren't shaking anymore. So that was kind of funny. So, um, so my plan was that I wanted to do, uh, I wanted to do like self-deprecating thing, but not really, not really self-deprecating. Like, um, I didn't want to tear myself totally down when I did comedy and, or anybody else. So that was kind of my goal. Like my modest goal was to, I mean, I did make fun of myself, but underneath it, I didn't want to convey that I hated myself. That's, that's a lot of thought to put in when, you, when you're first starting. <laughs> I mean, when I first started, I just I wanted to survive. I just wanted to well, be funny. Well, I just wanted to survive too, but you know, I, I watched lots and lots of comics. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you go, oh, you know, I want to be like that. Or, oh, I, I don't want to be like that, you know? So you begin to like determine what, who, who you are in relation to everybody else, so. I want to talk to you about your persona because your persona was forged from the first set I saw you do to the most recent set I saw you do on a Zoom show a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Your persona is so amazingly consistent and complete. And, and it just it has always amazed me, whereas other comics over time will break or get bored, you constantly find the new and exciting thing to do within your persona. Is that self-exploration? Is that consciously writing new places? How do you keep that, that vigor and energy to keep doing the same style for all these years? Lack of imagination. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, we'll accept that answer. <laughs> no, I don't, it's not something I do consciously at all. That's not a thing. I, like I said, when the first time I was on stage, there was this kind of character that's me mm -hmm. only more so. And I'm not trying to be something else because I, I don't think I have the range, you know, I just, <laughs> I just want to be me. I'm more concentrating on, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to like sound like bullshit. I just want to, <laughs> I just want to say, I, I, I don't do it on purpose. You know, it's just, it's not something I'm trying to do or not do, or, you know, it's just, it's just how I am. So um, what I, Oh, I'm sorry. Go, Go ahead. ahead. No, please. So I took a break from comedy, a long break. Okay. I did it for about 15 years and then I, I moved it back East and I, I lived in New Jersey where it was at the time pretty difficult to go to New York or Philly regularly to do the kinds of auditions and all that stuff that you need to. Plus I was kind of burnt out by that time. I was just like, I was just in a space where I didn't, I didn't have the passion anymore at that moment. And, um, and I was in a new relationship with an old boyfriend and we ended up getting married and we started a business and, you know, it was just my, my, my life went another way, you know, and, um, and uh, anyway, the, what I'm trying to get at is when I did come back, which was about four years ago um, in June, you know, like when they talk about alcoholics, they go, you know, you could be um, not drink for many years, but the disease keeps progressing, you know, as if you'd been drinking all that time. Yeah. You know, they say that. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard that. Well, that's sort of how comedy was for me. It was like I was further down the road because I was a more mature person. I was a different person than the person who left it. And I was more comfortable on stage and I think part of that is when you live in LA and you go on stage at any place any dive could have somebody critical to your career you know and and so it's really hard to feel free and creative when you feel like this could matter you know <laughs> and uh, and it has to matter it needs to matter you know I don't have that I started going to open mic nights again and I loved it because I saw all of us, you know, I saw shards of talent 
surrounded by insecurity or youth or, you know, trying to be like other people. You know, I saw like, oh, this one's going to be a writer, I bet. Or this one, oh, this guy needs to have a sitcom, you know, or, you know, just, I just could see us and um, I could see the passion and the, and the desire and everything. It was, it, um, I stopped going for a while. I forget why. Oh, I forget why. But anyway, I was going for a couple of years, like a lot to open mic nights and really enjoying it because it was so free, you know, it was so fun to be just with other young comics. Well, I'm not young, but you know, <laughs> hanging out with them was really reminded me how much I loved it. And, um, and it also made me realize that I'm just calmer on stage now. I'm like, it gave me that freedom to just, I don't know, I'm different now on stage than the last time. Uh, and mm -hmm. internally, I'm calmer. Is it as much fun for you now? Yeah, it's more fun. Yeah, I really like it. You know, well, I don't I haven't done it in months, but no, I've <laughs> like, I haven't had... I, don't, I hate to say this because you know it's in the deck. Yeah. At some point, you're going to have a horrible set and it's yeah. going to just, you're going to cry on the way home and stuff. But I haven't had one of those. I've had one of those where I didn't do as well as I know I can, but I didn't take it to heart. There were circumstances that were not particularly conducive to a great night and combined with my own internal circumstances, it wasn't. But people were, were not unhappy, okay? You know, it's just I know I could have done better. Um, so I've had a, a couple nights like that where it wasn't like sterling as great as it could be. But most of the time, I'm pretty happy. You know, it, uh, it goes well, and I'm happy, and everybody has a good time. So I like it. Let's, um, let's talk a little bit about that coping mechanism when you have a bad set. Because when I, young comics see me on stage, you know, they go, well, you never have a bad set. And they're like, you're not around me enough. I have plenty yeah. of bad sets. Yeah. Um, but in the beginning, at least for me, it was devastating. If I'd have a bad set, you know, that's depression and anxiety till I had another good set. And eventually you develop a coping mechanism. For some of us, it's excessive amounts of drinking. For others of us, it's, <laughs> uh, uh, for me, it happens to be, you know, more chocolate than humanly accessible. <laughs> you know, so what's your coping mechanism when you have one of those tough sets? How do you how do you get yourself back in the game for the next one? I think what happens pretty much for everybody is once you've racked up a track record where you know you just have confidence that you're funny, you know, that, that you you've done it enough times and had enough good sets that and you've seen enough that you know that this happens sometimes. Sometimes it's just not your night, you know? And um, and you just sort of learn to take it in stride. I, I, uh, I remember one time, kind of early on, I was in a club and I was, I was bombing. And I had like an out-of-body experience I had a comic in the back of my mind, just like in the back of the room, laughing at me, going, Haha, you're really eating it tonight, aren't you, babe? <laughs> like, Shut up, I'm trying to get through this. It's, like, it's okay, you're bombing, it happens. I'm like, this is horrible. I don't, I'm like, shut up. <laughs> meanwhile, it was like a comic, you know, we love to watch other people bomb, not because, yeah. well, sometimes because we hate them, but not usually it's because Usually it's because we we sympathize so much. Yeah. We just sympathize and it's it's actually funny. It is funny because we know that they're funny and tonight they're not having fun and we know it. And I don't know. It's a camaraderie when you hear the comic laughing and no one else. <laughs> it's it's sort of a, we got you, you know, <laughs> feeling. Oh, it's nice. Uh, you were actually in the room the first time I was ever heckled. Oh, really? At Good Times. I, I got heckled mercilessly by a drunk at Good Times. And you were literally the comic up after me. And uh, you shut him up with one line, but I could not control him for the life of me. And then when you came off stage, you walked right up to me and went, are you okay? Oh, uh, that was yeah. nice of me. <laughs> it was very nice of you. Um, but as comics, we understand what each other's going through. 
at those moments. But it always surprised me because that gentleman was about as big a jackass as you could get. And I remember on that show in particular, Stephen Friedlander was on the show. He was he was not kind to Steve, and Dave LaBarque was on the show, not kind to Dave. Uh, he hated me. He hated me with a passion that's usually reserved <laughs> for a family member. But <laughs> you got on stage. He said one line. You came back one time, and he was docile and calm, you know, until the next act, which I think was Howard Berger got on stage, and then he was right back at it. You've always had the ability to tame the audience. Is is that something that is just natural to you to you and you don't work at it? Or is, is there something you do when you know that it's a shit show like that? First of all, I haven't always don't always have the ability to tame the audience. That's you, you haven't watched me enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll accept that. But um well, I watched, you know, I was wondering about that because, you know, my, my companions, my, my female friends were Patty Rossborough, who's, ah, you know, and, uh, and Jeanette, and they were more loud and boisterous and, or gritty, Carol Montgomery, you know, just, um, so I went to comic strip once and I watched Rita Rudner and because whose style is you know, who I'm most like. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I, I thought, and she got heckled. And I thought, oh my God, what's she gonna do? And she just went, shh. And the person just shut up and I was like, oh, that's beautiful, that's perfect. She's, that's her, you know? Mm -hmm. And then um, and then somebody told me, um, oh, it was Lisa Carmel, she was a comedy teacher. Yeah. Yeah, she gave me a heckle line that was, um, you know, you're acting up like that reminds me a lot of what my grandma used to say to me. Shut the fuck up! <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was a line I've used <laughs> in desperation situations. Yeah, so no, it's, um, I think maybe just because I'm, I'm not a guy. Sometimes people are more respectful. Just you know, their girlfriends are going, "Shut up!" You know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know. Um, I just, uh, I just try. I what, the thing I don't want to do is like I don't want to do that like that last heckle put down because it's hard to come back into your character again. You know, so that's why I try to just stay within who I am so that people don't. Uh, what was that? You know? <laughs> I mean, I, if I have to, I do, but anyway. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about what got you into stand-up. You said you were dating comic and that made you want to do it, but was stand-up something you always loved? Was it something that you had nope. thought of before? Not at all. I, uh, well, a little bit of background is I come from a family of performers on my mother's side. My mom and my aunt were dancers for the Paris Opera. My uncle was uh, an actor for the Comédie Française. And my two cousins have since gone on to be, they were both actors also when I was growing up. So um, my cousin says, it's a virus that we have. <laughs> but so I had that on my one side, but I just always thought I was too shy or too, I don't know. I didn't think that was me, but I wanted it. I just didn't think I could do it. So um, I had tried ballet. I had tried ice skating. I was in a play in high school, but I wasn't loud enough. And um, this was before headset mics, you know. So, <laughs> so there was this frustrated performer in me. Um, and then... I was a bartender at a rock and roll bar in New Hope called John and Peter's. And at that time, uh, they were doing comedy. First, my friend Janina uh, had a comedy show and then Andy Scarpati was started there. And I saw lots of comics that I later knew. Dennis Wolfberg, Joe Bolster, um, uh, Abby Stein would come, um, Jerry Diner, did I say him yeah. already? Um, anyway, tons of 
tons of people that I, I eventually later knew. But at the time, I liked musicians and I liked rock and roll and I would watch and I'd never seen live comedy. And I just thought to myself when I'm watching them, what an unsexy profession, you know? I just thought these, I was turned off by the vulnerability of the comics. And I didn't think it was cool at all at, at that moment. You know, it was like 23, 24 years old. And I just thought, oh, that's weird. I mean, I enjoyed it, but I thought, what a weird thing to be. You know, I didn't want to, I never thought of being in it. And then one night I was tending bar and it was busy. And um, we're cruising up and down, serving drinks and, you know, just bantering with people. And, um, and I had this realization. I said, wow, I'm, I'm like the center of attention and I like it. You know, it was like weird. <laughs> it was like, well, that's so weird. So when I moved to New York, you know, I always was with around creative people, actors and so forth. And that's when I saw comedy, I thought, hmm, I wonder if this could be the thing. And so that's how it happened. What made you move to New York? I couldn't find what I wanted to do. I tried a bunch of different things. I was in restaurants, but I was also in sales and I was, you know, I was doing all kinds of things, just trying to figure out like a career, you know, and I just couldn't figure, I just said, you know what, I need a sieve with weirder holes in it, you know, because <laughs> like I'm shaking and I'm shaking, I'm not falling through in any, you know, I need to go somewhere. I took a trip around the country, cross country trip for three months in my car, visiting friends and so forth, trying to figure out where I wanted to live next. And I thought, you know what, New Hope and these other cute towns, Telluride, Malibu, all these other places I visited, Bisbee, they're, they're just the same thing. They're like shoulders on the road of life. I need to be on the highway. And so I realized I need to go to New York. So I moved to New York. So you started in New York, and most of the comics that I'm interviewing, full disclosure, started in New York. A couple of them started on the road, but... For all of us that started in New York, we have the luxury of a ton of stage time. Yes. And and then, you know, where you are right now, you know, in in New Jersey, not a ton of stage time. You yep. know, so how do you balance making sure the time you have on stage is quality now? How do I balance it? I... Well, let me I kind guess, of, Go ahead. Okay. Well, I try to do a good job whenever I'm on stage. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, open mic is for new stuff. And then I, you know, cautiously try new stuff while I'm on stage, mm -hmm. you know, um, slip it in the act. But I, I, I don't venture too far because I just want to make sure I get laughs, you know. So mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not real adventurous like Julia, Julia Scotty, she... Mm -hmm told me she opens with her new stuff. I'm like, yeah. oh my God, I would never do that. Because like, what if it goes downhill? Like, then you have to fight to get them back. I like to get a running start, slip it in, and then catch up with some better tried and true, you know, if it doesn't work. But she's like, she just jumps <laughs> with the yeah. new stuff. And um, so people have different processes and that's, you know, I'm, I'm like a little more cautious, I guess. Now, you spent a lot of years out in Los Angeles, didn't you? Like almost, almost 10? Was no, it 10? like it was like, it was about five or six. Yeah. Did you yeah. like your time out there? And how is Los Angeles comedy scene different than the New York comedy scene when you were there? Um, I, I didn't, I didn't really like Los Angeles, you know, I didn't like no weather. I didn't like constant sunscreen. I didn't like driving everywhere, you know, and, and not being able to walk. So I didn't, I, I didn't like, I mean, it's beautiful and it's sunny all the time. And I mean, there's a lot of cool things about it. It's a nice place to visit, you know, yeah. <laughs> now the comedy scene at the time, now it's a long time ago, but 
like I said, it's so industry, it's such a company town that, um, and people can be famous from one minute to the next. So I think there's, um, I don't know how to put it. I don't want to say phony because I think people are just more guarded. Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're less willing to be raw with a person because that person could end up being somebody they need later. Mm -hmm. um, so I know it sounds cruel, but it's how it is. You know, and and, and because every audience could have some, an agent or somebody's girlfriend who's whatever, you know, you're, it's just, it's a different climate. New York, at least when I was there, I haven't been that much lately. Um, I was supposed to play Caroline's, but the uh, COVID put the kosh, kibosh on that one. Yeah, um, yeah that they, uh, they just feel more authentic and raw and, real here it's because there's so much more going on here than than LA as far as like you know people are involved in a lot a lot of different things I, I always every time I've been in Los Angeles I've always felt the pressure to do the act to do the the show the way it's meant to be done <clears throat> pardon me whereas here in New York I feel the exact opposite pressure it's the pressure to come up with stuff that's new all the time. Did, <clears throat> did, you, did you find that one mindset worked better for you as an artist than the other? Yeah, I prefer to be somewhere where um, I feel free to try new things. You know, I, I think that's part of what happened is that I just got scared to not do well. And so I didn't stretch and... Um, yeah, so it, it, I got a little stagnated in my own mind and probably in the people watching me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so, yeah, so it was, it was, um, I had, you know, when it was going fun, like when I, I did, you know, I did a lot of shows, you know, I did um, The Laugh Factory, they had that show, Comic Strip Live, and the one that, um, in Pasadena, not Igbeast, the other one. <laughs> Can't remember the name right now. Uh, no, anyway, yeah. I did I did a lot of cable shows. You know, evening at the Improv. I did a couple of those, and um, and then I did a Bob Hope special, and I did two Tonight shows, and I did Seinfeld, a couple episodes of that. So it was that that part was fun when there was like possibility, mm -hmm. but then there comes a moment. You know, it was sort of like, you know, the road was getting harder to get for less money. Now they don't want to pay airfare. You know, it was just like getting gritty when the comedy boom was dying on the road. And then in L.A., there comes a moment if you don't catch that you can sort of feel the heat dissipating. <laughs> And you don't want that, you know, because the next thing you know, you're a cocktail waitress somewhere thinking about the time what it used to do stand up comedy, you know, <laughs> and that's what I was feeling like this sort of like, like I kept doing things like I did a Tonight Show, a second Tonight Show, I did the Bob Hope special, but I wasn't, nothing was, I could feel like, even though those things were happening, like I would have needed to do a one woman show or I don't know, I needed a, like another bigger, different kind of break of some kind. And, um, and I was getting less in the frame of mind that would attract that. So that was sort of a downward spiral that was happening. And I, like I said, I, I was getting really sick of putting sunscreen on every minute. <laughs> so, you know, it was just like time to leave. It was time to time for a break. So. Now, when you were going through this, I'm assuming with, with all these opportunities you had, you had at least a manager, probably an agent. When you came to the determination that you weren't going to do this anymore, did they try to talk you out of it? Did, was it a team decision? Or did you just one day just call them up and go, that's it for now? No, I, by the time I did it, I left, I didn't have a manager. Uh, 
Diane and I parted because she was, I was getting depressed and I wasn't, I wasn't willing to do some of the things that she felt that I could do. You know, they just felt like bigger than I could handle. So we parted uh, amicably. And then I, I was looking for a manager, but I just, you know, I, I even was with someone briefly, but you know, that's a, a special combination, a manager. And, um, and I had an age, I was with William Morris for commercials. I don't even remember if I had another kind of agent for theatrical or not. I don't even, mm. <laughs> it's a long time ago yeah. by the time I left, but you know, just stuff wasn't happening enough. So when, um, when TJ said, come back and, you know, be with me for a while, just take a break. Well, the break turned into, okay, I'm going to come back and get my stuff, <laughs> move back <laughs> east. I was so happy to be back east and be around my family and have a boyfriend. And so it was just like, oh, I'm done for now. Yeah. All right. Let's, um, can we talk a little bit about the acting? Because you did do the appearances on Seinfeld. And anytime, you know, I want to point out who you are to people, I just send them the clip from YouTube. Here, here she oh. is. Um, and they know you instantly. What was that experience like for you? I know, I know that um, it was early in the run of Seinfeld when you did it, but did yeah. that change your career in any direction? Did it give you a bump? A little, I suppose. Yeah, you know, um, like I said, I was I kept doing things, um, but it didn't give me that much of a bump because at the moment, um, it was just a pilot. You know, it was they had done a one. They had done one episode and then um, I think nobody watched it, but the critics really liked it. So the network was like, hmm. So instead of even giving him the half season, 13 episodes, they gave him four episodes, Jerry and Larry. And so only one episode had aired and no one else, nobody had seen it. So when I went for the audition, um, I was actually reading for the part of Elaine. And so I, I went in and I had sides. I didn't know anything about this, the story. I just, I just knew I had to get a reaction out of Jerry, you know, was my main job. Cause I, you know, he's not an actor, he's Jerry. So, um, so I did a decent audition. Um, but what was weird was Larry, David was in the room along with the casting and the producers and so forth. And I walked in and he hopped up. He went, Oh, I, I didn't know you were going to be here. And I'm like, uh, you know, <laughs> and he, he left. Really? Yeah, he left. Oh, and you might think from that, that there was something between us or, I, you know, no, it was nothing. I just know him from the improv in New York. You know, I, and it was very like, why did he leave? I, I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe he worried that I would suck or I can't think why, but he, he was gone. So I was like, okay. So they told me later that um, they liked my reading, but that the character of Elaine is actually a little bitchier than me. And I was very relieved when time bore that out, you know, that, uh, Elaine wasn't always the sweetest character. So I thought, okay, I'll buy that. But so they brought me back to be the waitress and it was really fun and relaxed. Well, it was a little tense because, you know, this mattered a lot to uh, everybody else. But for me, it was like, this is so cool. You know, it's like <laughs> really happy. Jason Alexander was so sweet and friendly. And, you know, I met Elaine, but we didn't really have too much to say. and. And then Michael Richards was very, very concentrated. He would work so hard, he would go off by himself and just concentrate. You know, he didn't want to talk to anybody. So, and then he'd come on and be this madman. But it was really, it was really fun. I, th I found it fascinating. It was the first and only sitcom I, I did. I've been, I watched a bunch of tapings, you know, of other people's yeah. development deals and stuff, but it was very fun. 
And um, it was very fun because I was recognizing bits from Larry's act in the script, you yeah. know, and uh, like well, there was one thing where he knew a date went south because he pulled floss out of his pocket and started flossing. Well, he did that on set, you know, <laughs> he, he actually pulled out floss and flossed briefly, you know, real conspicuously. I said mint because that was in the script as well. And he went, uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was kind of comfortable because I knew them anyway. And, uh, and Tom Sharonis, who was the director, he was, he was very chill and nice too. So, you know, it was a comfortable, pleasant set. And when we broke for lunch, you know, we, we run a lot with big buildings. So they said, you know, turn left, go right, there's a door. So I went down and there was a door open to a room where they had our buffet set out. And um, this, there was a handwritten sign in magic marker, Steinfield with an arrow. <laughs> Instead of Seinfeld, yeah. I was like, they'll know how to spell that one day. Well, that was pretty prophetic, you know. Yeah. yeah. I didn't but. know. I, I honestly didn't think the series would go because it was so funny and smart, mm -hmm. you know, that I thought, this is too smart. You know, people are not going to appreciate this. Yeah. Luckily, I was wrong. <laughs> Did Very you enjoy wrong. the acting? I loved it, yeah. Is that yeah. something you'd like to do more of now? Yeah, I would love it, yeah. Yep. All right, so let's um, let's talk a little bit about the, you know, for me, I started when I was 19, so I kind of had that uh, lovely advantage of a whole lot of people that felt parental towards me and wanted yes. to reach back and help. But uh, I often say that I wouldn't be here if I didn't have people like Barry Berry like grabbing me and sitting me down and saying, no, this is how you write a joke. Or I didn't have, you know, people like Joe Bolster coming up to me going, you might want to ease up with this or that. So I had all those wonderful people early in my career that really helped me and, and pushed me in the directions I needed to go. Were there people that did that for you? Absolutely. Oh, yes. Let me think. Um, trying to think of a good example, but mm -hmm. no, we all, we were all very collaborative, you know, um, yeah. uh, the one thing I can think of, um, Mendoza would mentor me a little bit selectively, you know, um, I remember he told me, when I was going to do the Tonight Show, he said, uh, just look in the camera because everybody's going to be looking at the monitor because you're so small on the stage. You know, they can see your face much better on the monitor. So just don't worry about the audience in the studio. Don't try to play to them. Just look in the camera. And that was really super advice because I went and watched the taping before I did it. And I was like, I don't know if I would have picked up on that, you know, yes. and uh, that was really good. And, um, you know, so long ago, I wish I could come up with examples, mm. of, which I will in an hour, you know. Yeah, but, but uh, I can't think specifically, but yeah. I did, you know, I'll tell you who was really helpful was Harvey. Uh, Martin Harvey Freeberg, Martin, Marty Freeberg. Yeah. Marty, yeah. Yeah. His, did you take his improv class? I, I did not. I took Peter Spellis's. Oh, I took his too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those were super helpful because I thought those would help me loosen up on stage, be more me. But, but Marty, the way he taught improv was like the best acting class because he taught me how to be um myself in a character mm -hmm. and he would like just drill that in us and it was an amazing thing that he was able to teach that as neurotic as he was <laughs> he was so nice. adorable but he would he would he was great he was so good at that and i think he was the best acting teacher i had even though it was improv it was 
it was um, really just inhabiting a character as yourself. That's so hard, but he kind of, that was his thing and th that was super valuable. What do you know now about the art form of stand-up that you wish you would have known when you started? I'll tell you, um, I was at a press conference with Susie Essman and Joy Behar. We were, we were two years before I came back officially, I had a brief recurrence um, where I opened for Joy for this series in Las Vegas called the Lipstick Series where they had women's headliners. And through, it doesn't matter, but anyway, this was a like, this came out of nowhere, basically. And um, so I was at this press conference and I hadn't seen either of them in like 20, 30 years, I don't know, long time. And, um, and so we were in front of all these press and people were asking, um, you know, these kinds of questions. And Susie's credited Joy with teaching her that it's a conversation and I took that in, that landed for me in a way that I, like I was talking about feeling more relaxed on stage. I, I just sort of internalized it is a conversation. It's like, you know, and Joy, she's so conversational, you know, on stage. She's just like, you can picture coffee, cups of coffee between you, you know, with mm. when she's on stage, she's just so her. And, and same with Susie, she's so relaxed and just who she is on stage. And, um, and that just like hit me in a way that, I mean, you can say that, but it, I just got it in a way like, yeah, you know, it's just people talking, you know, sharing relatable experiences and I, you know, I was trying to do so many things when I started to not be nervous, not forget what I was going to say, not hold the mic right, you know, not make sure my knees knocking don't show, you know, all these things that I was like, you know, just trying to get through it. And, um, I, you know, those are things that you had to learn before you can totally relax, I guess. Mm -hmm. Although some people get on stage and they're already relaxed. So, um, but I, I wasn't. So that's what I learned that I didn't know before. All right, so bringing the conversation back to it in the beginning, because it sounds like you, you have a lot more process than, than you think you do. Um, do you write every day? Nope. Nope, okay. Um, and are you one of these writers that mostly writes by appointment or by, by inspiration? Inspiration. Inspiration. Yeah. And when you're revising material, do you do it in the notebook, on stage, or both? Both. I do it in the notebook, and then sometimes something happens on stage. Um, just some extra thing comes out of my mouth where I go, oh, that was good. I'm going to use that one again. You know, so uh, that happens. But a lot of times I'll tell you where it happens is walks in the woods, mm. walks in the woods. And um, I'll be thinking and then I'll ha be having a conversation in my own mind. And, um, you know, and then I'll, uh, I'll record it real quick, like the, the bullet points so I don't forget. And then um, that's, that's when, where I'm most prolific, actually, is walking in the woods. So uh, I, I do want to talk about this, because right now when we're recording this, uh, we are still deep in the middle of uh, quarantine. And uh, I think they're opening some of the beaches on Memorial Day in New Jersey and some not. But you posted a wonderful, uh, a wonderful post about you and Paul Lyons doing a gig down in Atlantis. Uh, oh yeah, it, yeah. Is it at the end of the summer, I believe. No, it's in December. It's in December. Yeah. So it, is that the gig you're most looking forward to doing, post COVID? It's the only gig I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, then the answer to that would be absolutely yes. 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 All right. 
Um, okay, so where can people find you on social media if they're looking for you, or do you have a website that you can send them to? Any I of don't that have fun a, stuff? No, I don't really have any of that. I'm on Facebook. <laughs> I'm on Instagram. <laughs> But I don't, you know, I started a page, but it's not active. And it's like, there's nothing to promote right now, you no. know? So I, um, yeah, I'm kind of low key. Like I, I want to do stuff, but uh, I don't do it. <laughs> well, we got to get you performing more because you are awesome. And oh, every, thank you. Everyone on the uh, Fireball Friday show still raves about what you did. So oh, thank you. Yeah, you were very generous helping us raise money for those charities. So I want to thank Anita for coming in and talking to us and, and spending this hour with us. You, again, are awesome. And, thank uh, you. Full disclosure, you were also my first comedy crush. Oh, really? Oh, now <laughs> used, you tell me. <laughs> yeah, I used to walk on stage and I used to look like, she's pretty. Yeah. But I, I believe I was 20 then, so nobody could see me. But yeah. it, was, it was awesome having you here, and it's been fun watching you come back. And even more fun watching your career over the years because it's nice seeing nice people get uh, good things. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was a fun time that we had together. The, I think the most amazing thing that I got from Anita was the passion. How much, even after all this time, she still loves doing it and still wants to do it. And like all of us during the coronavirus crisis, just eagerly waiting to get back on stage. Now, I think one of the most fun things you could do is go and watch Anita. There's video of her online from uh, The Tonight Show way back when, and there's also video of her online from a Zoom show she did with me at the Fireball Friday uh, show. So you can see the evolution of the style. You can see how much it translates, and you can see how much she truly loves the art of stand-up comedy. We're going to be back next week with another great guest. If you have any comments or any ideas that uh, you want to run by us, uh, write to us at info at nmcworldwide.com. Info at nmcworldwide.com. We'll be happy to answer your questions. And until then, we will see you on the next Comedy Legacy Podcast. Goodbye, everybody. Worldwide Production.